0: Hi, I'm Pat Foran. Welcome to Get Labeled Indie Music Roadmap, a podcast for working indie artists, aspiring music artists, and fans. Each week, I interview a different guest who has a proven track record in the biz or related field. I talk with producers, promoters, audio engineers, managers, songwriters, bands, social media experts, veteran and novice artists, too, about their experiences and recommendations. I'll get answers to some of the hows and whys of today's music business, which you will find invaluable in navigating the chaotic world of today's music industry. Today's guest is indie musician and songwriter Dave Vargo. Let's get going. Hello. Hey, Pat. How are you? Good. How's it going,
1: Dave? Good. Good to see you (laughs) virtually.
0: Thanks for coming out. Thanks so much for having me. Of course, you're not out. You're already there, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Doing this with me. I would see you, what, at least three or four times a year, right? I mean, normally you're about 50 miles away at the shore, New Jersey shore.
1: Yeah, I think between um, doing your show that you used to do um, in New Hope a couple times a year and you'd come out to Porch Fest and various things. Yeah, I'd, I'd say at least four, maybe five times a year. I would say at least least
0: four, yeah, three to four times a year. Um, And then of course COVID. So now we're just coming, coming, coming out of that uh, hopefully. And um, we will um, hopefully get back together (laughs) and do some stuff again. Well, I did your, I did your two for Tuesday. You have an online uh, Tuesday night show that you do right now. Is that all songwriters or do you do um, artists, you know, also like uh, singers
1: I mean, it's, it's specific to songwriters. Um, you know, it's two songs each, and um, I would prefer them to do two originals, but they have to do at least one.
0: Okay.
1: Um, I've gotten away from doing two originals because after 105 shows, I don't have enough originals <laughs> doing two every week. As I noticed somewhere around week 25 or so, I said, "Oh crap." <laughs> but yeah, I try and keep it to songwriters. It's just a way to get other people's music out there too so they get to benefit some and you know, our audience keeps growing so and they tend to get followers and new fans which is good for them so
0: yeah that's awesome it's a great thing to do and um, well I have a bunch of questions for you <laughs> um, but um, I usually try and start off with um, your history like in music um, how did you get started like when now you're a songwriter you're also a guitarist um and um so let's maybe you can let us know like how did you get started in music and then when did you know you wanted to write music like when did when did you know you wanted to be a songwriter okay
1: yeah i mean i was a guitar player for a lot longer than i've been doing anything so i started taking guitar lessons when i was eight um which is the earliest that a guitar teacher would take me, I think I started asking my <laughs> mother for lessons at age five. they would take me, and every year they said, "No, next year, next year." So finally, at age eight, I was um, admitted yeah. <laughs> into into the for the teacher, and uh, I took lessons for years. I mean, and uh, at various points took it seriously, not so seriously, um, and I think I really got serious in like beginning of junior high school. Okay that, uh, you know, I really said, you know, this is something I really enjoy. I started practicing four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day. I uh, started getting into my first bands. And um, those bands were mostly like rock bands and stuff. But my teacher was very into jazz, so I got into jazz as well. And as uh, a matter of fact, for my senior variety show, we, uh, we had a trio. We played Pat Metheny song, a George Benson song. And I don't know what the third song was. But more of a jazz fusion kind of thing, which led me to, you know, pursuing that and going to college for it. uh, So
0: how how old were you when you first uh, took a shot at jazz or learned jazz? Well, I teach it was always, it was always
1: part of the lessons, but I think I didn't really take to it, you know, and probably, like I said, I think in those junior high school years, early teens that it started sticking, I said, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, Prior to that, it was, you know, it felt a little bit too much like my mom's music. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, they got, back then. I was probably I would learn Beatles songs and Kiss songs and things like that. And, and so, okay we'd we'll learn those. But here, also, let's learn this uh, Joe Beam song and uh, we'll learn a nova or something.
0: Well, I'd heard jazz. I mean, I didn't know a lot about it when I was younger. But um, along the same same thing, like, so I would hear like West Montgomery. Um, my parents would put on a station on the in the car. Um, I wouldn't call it a jazz station, but it was music of the day, I guess, or recent times. And um, the, um, so, you know, you'd hear a West Montgomery performance, but you might hear a Beatles tune or you might hear, you know, another popular song. Um, and that cut, kind of, that interested me because, like, like you said, like before that, I mean, maybe I would hear Sinatra or, you know, Dean Martin, or right. um, you know, one of the performers of the day, and then of course um, all the Vegas people. You know, were eventually went to Vegas, I guess, movie stars and things like that, who were, who are singers, um, and right. So for me, that was not my music. Right. Right. So I was more of a rocker, but I just wanted to interject that. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> about that. But please continue.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I think you know the, the turnover was is that. I think that once you started playing the jazz, I think what, as, it, as being young, I think for a lot of people too, that first introduction to jazz and saying, oh, there's no lyrics, where are the words? Uh, but most of the stuff was instrumental. And uh, But as you started to play some of that stuff, you then realized that how good these people were. and you know, and Trying to replicate Wes Montgomery as a 13 year old and his fingers flying over the fretboard and playing with his thumb, you realize, oh my, hey, there really is something to this. <laughs> And I think that kind of pulled me in. George Benson was was a very early influence. Not, I mean, it started with this masquerade, was his big hit. But then I started buying his old records, and he was a very proficient jazz guitar player before he kind of, you know, moved over to the pop world or semi-pop world.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was awesome. I mean, I mean, even into his later later years, he was awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he could he could play like nobody's business, man. Smooth and just articulate and fast. And, uh, that's funny. and most people had no idea, if, you know, with the handful of hits that he had. And what was that? I guess the 70s, late 70s, I guess, mid 70s.
0: Esquerade. Um, you know, I can't tell you. I would say, I would think maybe late 70s. Yeah.
1: But I thought I it was in the 80s. he went back out. I remember I was in college at the time and he went back out. With a, uh, I think a quartet with an organ player, bass drums, and him playing jazz. And I got to see him do it, you know, and he hadn't lost a touch of it. He was really, <laughs> and the funny thing is, he sang everything he played, even when he was off mic. He was oh, constantly like, that stuff you would hear on, um, but he, he did scat in this masquerade. So that's stuff that he did in those pop songs, he would do during his bebop solos too. And he could sing it note for note. It was pretty amazing. Very talented guy
0: yeah i mean um i'm trying to think of course i heard masquerade that was probably my first introduction to george benson too um Mm -hmm. i don't remember when i i think it was probably maybe early 80s i picked up a benson album and i mean he was flying on this one i forget the song but it was like I was like, holy crap, this guy is moving. He can really move on the guitar, man.
1: He was serious business. It yeah.
0: Um, I think he was, was he out of Chicago? I think. Or
1: I forget. I, for some reason, I thought it was like Philadelphia, but I'm not sure now.
0: Um, because I think the recording was out of Chicago, but I, and then again, I could be wrong. I might be thinking of a Lou Rawls album. Yeah, I think there was one song on there. I used to like jump in with Symphony Sid, had a trombone yeah oh, wow, on it, and um but anyway, yeah, if you're not familiar with uh any earlier Benson that was I think might have been his first album, I don't remember the album name, but um, yeah, if you're not sure about uh who he who he was um check check out some of his early work, George Benson um, but yeah, that's pretty cool, that's why I wanted <laughs> to talk to you about the guitar <laughs> we're giving George Benson a
1: plug here, and I said
0: oh yeah well, not not for the plug, but because. <laughs> You know, we could spend like two show, two or three shows on guitar. I think, yeah, sure. <laughs> on guitar work. But um, but anyway, um, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I didn't start, I didn't really touch jazz until I was in Berkeley. <laughs> so, um, I remember being in my first dorm room, and there was three guys in the room on uh, Mass Ave. And at the dormo Ave. and um, I think the kid was the guy was playing uh, Charlie Parker, and he kept playing bebop, and I, it was actually making me sick to my stomach because I couldn't. <laughs> it was like being on a ship where I couldn't. I would try to catch something and I couldn't, and then I would, you know, try to catch the next the next round of rhythm, and I it was like, whoa, what is going on here? <laughs> and then all of a sudden I started hearing, I started realizing that Parker was playing a lot of blues. Right. And then that was my anchor. And from there, I just, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. I like this. You know, it was like, then I started playing a bebop is like my favorite jazz uh, idiom, you know, like um, so um, did you do any other studies? Like while you're like, when you were coming up, So, like, for instance, I was introduced to this at Berkeley, where we did, you'd have to work on jazz, but then you had to work on, like, classical studies, too, or um, single note, not classical guitar, but single note studies. Did you do that um, when you were coming up, like, when you were younger?
1: Um, Not classical, per se, Um, but uh, my teacher, he had all these books, and I can't remember who they were from anymore, but um, just just playing single lines and things that... um, probably came from a classical background. You know, they were kind of Bachish, if you yeah. will. Um, but they didn't they didn't I didn't know it at the time. But much like I think when I went to Berkeley, you had to pass a certain level of proficiency playing like the Bach. Um, what were they called? Um,
0: well you hear that in the Parker Parker lines, the um, you know large intervals. You hear the classical, he, he studied classical music. Charlie Parker. Oh, did he? I didn't yeah. Know. Um, but you can hear it. I mean, it's definite, definite Bach influence. I think um, wide intervals. You know, like ninths. Um,
1: um, but you know, my teacher was 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 really good. I mean, I had enough um, harmony background and um, arranging background and stuff that I was able to test out of essentially the first couple of years of Berkeley classes. Well, wow. From those things, which was which is nice because I ended up taking a year off when I was up there. So it added up to, <laughs> between testing out and the year off, I ended up graduating around the same time. Um, but the, yes, I had a pretty strong harmonic background in particular from him, um, of the chords and the inversions and how they worked and how they moved. And, um, and that came from, I think, you know, learning the jazz songs. He used that as a vehicle to kind of pull it all together.
0: Um, so you were playing like rock then or pop also like, um- in your guitar okay. lessons?
1: Um, like I said, when I asked for it. Okay. <laughs> like I said, it was almost like a trade-off. I said, okay, we'll, we'll learn this Beatles song, but you also have to learn this, you know, uh, take five. Or, you know, there was, he, we, there was a give and take kind of thing. And, it, and I remember at the beginning, I was like, ah. Oh. But then eventually, I liked those more than the pop. So we just kind of went in that direction. And uh, um, not that I stopped listening to pop, but I, I definitely played a lot more jazz um my later junior high school and definitely in high school and even the first few years of um berkeley was definitely as you know when you get to berkeley at least back then it's much different now from what i hear it was very much a jazz school yeah i um, weren't well, we other things but that was really the, the drive i went
0: there for songwriting and, and and now they have now it's a course or a study or a major <laughs> right and well, it's like I, I worked in computers. Did you have a technical background too, or, or, or no. you no, your finance, uh, insurance, or something? That's what I do,
1: definitely my day job. But yeah, I didn't have any enough prior to uh, the college and stuff.
0: Uh, well, when I went to, when I started getting into computers, um, they didn't have any courses on databases. And, you know, like probably within 10 years after I started, then they had college courses on database. And I was like, "Geez, you know," because I had to learn everything on the on the fly at work. There were there were songwriting classes, but I think I guess now they have a songwriting major, so that's different. But yeah, uh, but I don't know too much about the curriculum. You know, I I I, I taught for a, for a while private lessons, and then they said I had a couple of people go <clears throat> to Berkeley for guitar, and I was in touch with. Um, one of my teachers became head of the department at one point. So I talked to him a few times. Um, And I know he was he was a real jazzer, you know, jazzy guy, jazz guy. And um, he I remember hearing him on the radio. He he said, tune in Sunday night for this one show. And they were playing, not exactly Django Reinhardt, but more like Stefan Grappelli (laughs) sounding. They had a he had a violinist. But I wouldn't I wouldn't say that he was exactly the, you know copying uh, Django Reinhardt. He was kind of doing his own thing, right. but it was you know that kind of uh, jazz, and uh, it was really cool um, to hear hear that. You know, there's different different types of jazz, right? So, um, you and I I mean, we're is is bebop your favorite? Do you think or
1: I I think in the, the early stages and when I first went to Berkeley, it was very much I was very you know Coltrane and Miles Davis and that kind of stuff. So it was bebop, and and uh, but it evolved. You know, I know that somewhere in like my second year or so, I really started to get turned off of um, the bebop stuff, and, and got more into like you know Pat Metheny and John Schofield and those kind of guys that were playing kind of bebop lines, but under a different background. There was more rock and fusion and different things coming in, and I was more attracted to that at that point because um, I get tired of the same. Um, it was either you know, it was a swing beat or it was a Latin beat, that's all there was. He played jazz There was a great effort in between. And I said, you know, and I think my, my pop childhood started coming back saying, you know, it'd be nice to kind of have some other groups and also have a chance to be more melodic and not have to play a thousand notes of measure. Um, yeah. and, uh, and that's, you know, one of the things that came out of school there, I think it kind of turned me in that direction a little bit, which helped me a lot when I got out of school and trying to find work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coming out as a bebop guy, I don't think I would have uh, gone down the same career path. I ended up going down.
0: Yeah, I mean it was like Miles. Well, I don't know how how he started, but he ended up at a very young age with Charlie Parker. Yeah, and after Dizzy left, I guess, and um, so he was he was doing bebop, and then what? Like within five to ten years, he's playing like a long note. <laughs> like like really long tones for a melody
1: yeah he got really interesting and he it, it, it was he was cool one of that. the most diverse musicians ever i think you're right i think he came from um very heavy bebop um and he started he didn't start bebop but he got involved and then he was definitely the guy who started the cool jazz yeah thing where it was kind of um then the modern jazz thing a lot of it came from his playing and his playing, and he had the technique. You could hear it back from the days. He never lost it, but he didn't use it anymore. He almost, you know, was more into, you know, how can I make the trumpet sound different? And sometimes it was, sometimes you play out of tune. You know, he'd play a quarter pitch sharp or flat for purpose. I remember trying to transcribe some of his solos, and I'm like, I can't notate this note. It's not exactly this note. And it was, it was very interesting. Um, I got to warm up as an opening act for him once when he played in Boston. Wow. Um, they needed a local band and I had this trio and we were doing our own version of Jazz Fusion stuff and I guess they had nobody else to, to ask so we got in and, and uh, it was it didn't, didn't say one word to us but it was very cool <laughs> <laughs> to, to be there and then to be on the side of the stage for the show to watch his portion of it it you know, was well, awesome I pulling cool. up to the club and he, up, you know, he got there just before he started no sound check he pulls up in a red Ferrari, leaves it double parked in front of the club. <laughs> comes in, hits the stage, plays, and then he was out. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. And like, he's back to the audience the whole time. You know, it was just, I was just, at the end of the day, I was just like, wow, he's like the coolest guy ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's one of my favorites. But interesting
1: um, dude,
0: I, I was telling somebody on another episode, of the pod, of this podcast that um i don't even know how it came up i think we were talking about berkeley and i met uh mike stern um i was a freshman at berkeley staying there for the summer i guess and in boston cuz i'm originally from new jersey and that's where i live now but went to school in boston and we just went out one night we we're watching this band and it's a trumpet I don't know. I don't remember if there was keyboards. I imagine there was keyboards. There was a guitarist, drums, keyboard, small combo. And the the guitarist is playing like rock, like Jimi Hendrix style guitar behind the trumpet. And we're like, wow, like, what is this? (laughs) Who is this guy? And they took a break uh, after the first set and the guitarist comes off the stage and we're drinking Bud in the back or just standing up drinking but it was Pooh's pub it was was it still there when when you went Pooh's pub i I
1: don't remember
0: it was on commonwealth um going up towards like off of uh mass ave and making a left up towards uh bu um what was that Kenneth kenneth square i forget but um kenmore square kenmore that's it yeah um yeah so place called Pooh's pub anyway he took they took a break and the guitarist comes walking down, grabs his beer, comes walking down. And he's like walking, like we're standing next to the door. One of the, I guess there was a couple of doors. We were standing next to one of them. And uh, he comes down and he stands right in front of us. He goes, hey, how's it sound? We're like, uh, great, man. Like, what the hell are you doing? There? <laughs> <laughs> what is that you're playing? You know, and um, so we got into a nice conversation. And um, I don't remember, I, I imagine we stayed for the rest of the night but uh, for the rest of the show, but um, didn't I didn't see him again. The following year, Miles Davis releases his first album in 10 years. And guess who's on it? Mike Stern. Right. And I'm like, hey, I know this guy. Oh, I met this guy. <laughs> well, I had, I had told one of my teachers, my um, guitar teacher, I was like, yeah, I met this guy. He's playing like Jimi Hendrix behind this trumpet. And, you know, at Berkeley, it's like, clean not i mean you had a good tone on the guitar but it was mainly clean guitar you know uh for jazz if you're doing bebop or whatever or or just um band right ensemble um for the most part um and uh he's like oh yeah that's mike stern he's a legend and blah 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 he gave me the whole story the backstory you know i was like wow that was really cool so i was like one of my favorite um Jazz artist, and you know, so that was that was pretty cool. But um, yeah. So um, well, we went way ahead to Berkeley, which I didn't mean to do. (laughs) I meant to do a little bit more. So, um, now, do you play any other instruments? Do you play just guitar? Or
1: I have a hard enough time with guitar, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, when I was at at Berkeley, I I was a decent piano player because. Part of the curriculum too, you had to play the Bach 2 part inventions on another instrument. So I wanted to play them on piano, but I haven't touched the piano in 30 years. Um, I was uh, a natural drummer. I could sit, sit behind a kit if I had to really? and wow. play. Um, but I haven't played drums. You, you know, I used to play um, with an R&B band. And at one point, point the drummer sang. So a couple of times during the night, he would get up front and I would pop behind it and play the ballads on the kit so I was able you know, proficient enough that I could do that. Um, but, uh, but now, yeah, it's guitar is about the only thing I can handle.
0: (laughs) And then, then, um, you're a songwriter and you're a singer. So how, when did you get into singing and, and when did you get into songwriting? Those are
1: definitely more recent developments. I sang a little bit in college because I had to, you know, I, I had to, uh, my parents paid for the first two years of college and I had to pay for the, the next two. So I gigged a lot during, um, I, fig- I figured I could make more money gigging than getting a job at like, you know, bagging groceries or something. So, you know, I got in a couple of different bands and those bands you had to sing somewhat, some, whether it was harmonies or sometimes you'd have to need a male vocal on something. So I very poorly sang back then. And then, and it's the same thing for a lot of bands, you know, fun bands that I was in, you know, I'd be, would have a female lead singer, maybe, and I would be, you know, I'd sing two songs a night. Um, And then, you know, I got out of the music business for a long time and didn't even play guitar for about 10 years. I just didn't do anything. And uh, about 11 years ago, I started playing again. At that point, that's when I started taking singing more seriously. You know, I got an acoustic guitar. And I said, "What am I going to do with just an acoustic guitar? Nobody's going to want to hear me just play guitar." It's like I learned how to sing. <laughs> I started singing, and uh, and songwriting came even after that. It was about six or seven years ago I started writing songs. Um, at that point, I had said, "You know, I started doing open mics, and uh, at the open mics would be uh, frequently there'd be other people playing songs that they wrote." And my wife kept pushing me, saying, "You really should be, play- you know, writing your own songs." And I, begrudgingly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> She kept pushing me because I knew how hard it was, and it was very easy for me to, to just do a cover and reimagine it my own way. I mean, I, it's something that was natural for me. I could just do it. I could do a Beatles song and you know reharmonize it, redo the melody, and kind of make it my own. Um, but the songwriting I knew was much more difficult. But she kept pushing me, and eventually I, I said I'm gonna write I'm gonna write a song. Man. So I, I wrote my first song. I said, see. <laughs> and then it just kind of started from there. I kind of stuck with it. I mean, I don't write a lot. Even today, I don't write a lot. If I write eight, nine, maybe 10 songs a year, it's about it. Hmm. Um, So I'm not like somebody who writes every day or every week or, you know, I I do it when I have to. And I, and mostly because I guess I have a day job. I have studio stuff that I do. I have live gigs that I do. And songwriting I have to kind of fit in between. So it's not something that I have set time for. I don't know if I would write more if I did, but, um, I write enough to get my albums out. So Yeah, I mean
0: you well, as a songwriter, when I started out, I was lucky if I could finish a song, finish writing a song, I'd come up with an idea and then I would kind of get stuck. Um and I'd keep working on it, working on it. It's usually the over the lyrics. I mean I would get the the music was the easy part for me. Right. Um but I would, you know, when I So this is another question like when you write a song how does that come together like do you think of melody um do you come up with like rhythm like chord chord changes um and then you know something gets a little sticky there like a a lyric or a um maybe a melody on top of the chords i mean how do how is that process for you or or does it vary
1: i would say the typical process is that i'll be uh just practicing guitar and i'll happen upon like um a couple of chords that sound nice together and that kind of string those along and then i kind of scat a melody over mm-hmm. top of that and that scattered melody 99 percent of the time ends up being a, the real melody and the, like you mentioned my top part is lyrics yeah <laughs> and, and I, I can write you know i could write five songs tonight if i was just doing music and melody but right now I have five songs sitting at home waiting for the lyrics to reveal themselves. Um, the lyrics are the top part. I, I know with, I was interviewed the other day. I don't know if it's, I'm lazy, if I'm just not as good at it, or if I'm just very picky, or a combination of the three.
0: <laughs> I think it takes time too. I mean, what, um, how long have you been writing songs? About seven years now. Seven years, yeah. I mean, I've been, I started like when I was 20 which was compared to other people. It's late. (laughs) And um, but I started in college. I started at Berkeley. That's, that's actually why I went to Berkeley. I went there to learn, to learn enough about music so I could write music. Um, And I, like I said, I think in the very beginning it was, you know, it was like sometimes, you know, I had a few that would come out in like 20 minutes, but Again, you know, I'd have to polish the lyrics and rewrite them and or maybe come up with a better idea than, than what I originally write, wrote. And, of course, that's not – when I started, It there was no computer, um, no laptop to work with, uh, to sit down with. Um, it was all, you know, pencil and paper. And then the one thing that I always mention when we talk about songwriting is if you don't grab that melody and chord changes and melody, like, the first verse you're probably going to lose it because by the time you get to the second verse i would start changing things or i would lose it you know i'd lose that idea for me it kind of comes like it kind of comes in a package so maybe along the lines for you too because when you're playing chords you're in you're um injecting a melody whether you realize it or not you're you probably already starting that. And and then you're, you know, when you really address it, then you like something called top lining. Um, that I came across in this sync music writing. Like people look for top liners. It's like, Who's top lining? You know? And they're like, Oh, you just get bring a singer in and they go over. I'm like, oh, Wow, well, that's what I do. That's what you're talking about. Right. And you just go and you create the melody and you come up with some you know, gibberish lyrics sometimes, you know, um, and then you come back and you fill it in. Hopefully you have a, you know, a nice hook that you grabbed on the way in Mm -hmm. anyway. So long, long long-winded, which I'm really good at uh, (laughs) long-winded segue here. But um, I guess where I'm, what I'm driving at is uh, today I can, like that happens all at once for me, a lot of times. Um, and um, so, I mean, it takes time, I guess is what I'm saying. So I don't know how long, I mean, music is right. I mean, if you were, let's say when, when you were back, when you were learning at, um, did you say eight years old? Eight, yeah. So let's say like eight to 12 years, and then 12 to like, until you went to college. I mean, did you notice that even, even when you got older, that maybe it would take you six months to absorb a technique or um, maybe actually a song too? Like it would take, it takes time, right? To to really know the material, right? Right, yeah. So, and generally like my teacher, I, I studied with a guy from Philadelphia, Joe Federico, who was an associate of Dennis Sandoli. Have you heard of the Sandoli method, guitar mm-hmm. method? I don't think so. He, D- Dennis Sandoli wrote a book called Guitar Lure, um, scales and techniques. And it changed my picking style. And some people call it um, circular picking. Um, it's kind of like that. I wouldn't call it circular picking, but it's. I think that's what people mean when they talk about circular picking, um, which, which is a, for people listening and don't know, it's a technique for your picking hand on the strings. Um, Maybe I'll cover that sometime. Um, But you can look it up (laughs) on YouTube. Um, So, um, yeah, so Dennis Sandoli, but he was also a teacher, a guitar teacher and a music teacher. He taught John Coltrane in Philadelphia. He was from the Philadelphia area. And um, he's the one that suggested that Coltrane used a soprano sax instead of just the tenor. Wow. And there we go. Right. So what did Coltrane do? I mean, that was like one of the big things that he did um right. to separate himself from from you know the other tenor players, aside aside from his playing. Um but um anyway, so uh the you know, he told me, my teacher, Joe Federico told me, cause I was getting frustrated. I'm like, you know, I, you know, how come I didn't understand this, you know, months ago, all of a sudden it just like, it was like a light turned on. And it was like, I own that technique, you know, this technique I was working on. But until then it's like a rugged process and guitar is not for the faint of heart.
1: <laughs> no, no.
0: Right. So as you were kind of mentioning, and, and one of our t- teachers at Berkeley, Dave Mash, did you know him? Did you ever- I knew the name but I
1: didn't know him.
0: Yeah. I think he was early into synthesizers and I think I took a harmony class with him, advanced harmony. And but anyway, he was like <clears throat> very cynical about guitar. He he moved over to keyboard because he wanted to do more. But anyway, he used to make, you know, jokes about the guitar and you know, oh yeah, let's try this on guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and but um but anyway um yeah so i think for songwriting i think songwriting is the same thing i mean I th- maybe it's vo- it's volume 2 i don't know so maybe it's like you know we i talk about this with other people with other guests on the on the episode on the uh, different episodes um so like you get you get a a band that maybe gets a record contract rock band for instance and they've been on They've been out for five, seven years, sometimes 10 years, uh, you know, writing songs. And they go and they do their first album. Well, this is the way it used to be. I mean, the record companies would step in, right? And they'd say, they're the ones that would pick the music. So they would pick um, five good songs and then say, we need two more or three more. Maybe they bring another writer in to help. Or they would just pick out of that group. And the band would be like, oh, well, you you just picked all of our best songs. You know, we're not going to have anything for album two. And there's like, well, that's what you do next year. You write, you know, for your next album. Um, so my point being that, you know, they may have been taking 10 years to write and then all of a sudden they're thrown into this. You know, they come off after a one-year tour or 10-month or tour, and now they have to go in and start working on their next record. Right. It's like they have to come up with, okay, so let's say, I mean, Led Zeppelin is a different animal because of Jimmy Page, but let's say it was Led Zeppelin. So they'd have to come in and, you know, do as well as their first album, which was like a breakthrough album in in many Mm -hmm. ways Um, or Hendrix, you know, um, anyway, we could name a lot of groups, but so now they have to come up with, um, let's say if, uh, I mean, Van Halen is a good, example I think because they had you know a really explosive first album right and and um so you know van Hal- is it van Halen and then van Halen two I think van Halen two is my favorite uh album by by van Halen um but um you know if they had to come in and reproduce you know Van Halen one um if they weren't you know they had been together for I don't know seven years or something um i watched the video recently a youtube video about them and um about eddie and so that that's a whole other subject too he built some of his own equipment um hacked some of his own guitars and pickups and stuff um but anyway so my point is like as a songwriter you know if i had to if i had gotten the record contract early on um And they took my 10 10 songs. It probably would have taken me another five years to come up with 10 songs that to even try and be as good as my first 10, you know, that we released. That's my point. Like, and the whole thing with learning and um, developing. um, So, but I think your advantage is like, um, we didn't even get into this. Um, We talked a little bit about Berkeley, but that was. Did, when you left Berkeley, did you, were you hired, did you go on tour right after Berkeley or right out of Berkeley or how, when did that happen?
1: Almost, um, I was uh, dating a, a girl from California at school and she moved back to California and after graduation, I followed her back and we um, went out to a club one night in the um, San, I think it was San Diego, north of San Diego. And uh, Bonda Shepard was playing in in the club, and uh, I really liked her, liked her band, and I introduced myself on a break and said, hey, you ever need a guitar player, I love what you're doing. And um, three days later, I got a call from Bonda Shepard and she said, hey, come down and audition, we're looking for a guitar player. So I worked with her out there and it wasn't a tour, she was just a local act then. So we would, you know, she was gigging like four or five times uh, a week. And I think somebody from uh, Whitney Houston's band came to one of those shows and, Whitney was getting ready to do a new tour, and um, she was trying to hire all Jersey people in her band. Wow, for whatever reason. Okay, and uh, I found out I was from Jersey, Jersey. <laughs> and um, and it wasn't even it wasn't really a real audition even, It was just like okay, here show up here you know for rehearsals in New York <laughs> on Saturday oh. to date, and uh, it was like I don't remember now yeah, two months of rehearsing for the um, for the first. You know like of the tour and i just and then it was pure touring for almost three years you know hardly, hardly a day off for three years um
0: i wish i had my calendar from back then because i don't
1: my memory's getting foggy now but it was definitely <laughs> okay. like i was on the road 320 days a year for almost three years in a row
0: but i mean you you left school i mean or you finished school i don't mean you left school you finished school um um, there's kind of a point here um and so h- how long was it again before you got we went with uh, got the job with uh,
1: Whitney? I am so bad with time um, It was six, seven, eight months well,
0: so I mean you know not even a year later you're backing up Whitney Houston yeah not not too shabby.
1: <laughs> no, it was, you know, right place, right time, right look. Um, you know, one thing that people say, what did you get from Berkeley? I said, you know, the, the most important piece of information I got from Berkeley, and I forget what the teacher was that said, always be ready. Since you're not going to get the gig and then have time to get ready for that gig, you got to be proficient and ready to go. And so, you know, I was always practicing, always trying to stay on top of my game and uh, that definitely helped. There was, there was no like downtime as, oh, let me go home and, and, and woodshed for a couple yeah. of weeks, get ready for this, you know, <laughs> nursing. It was, you know, I, I kept up the tools and mostly because he, he was in my head. <laughs> it just made so much sense with the way he said it. Yeah. Um, and that's probably, that's, you know, that was where all that
0: tuition yeah, went
1: for. <laughs> that's,
0: it's so true. I mean, I just uh, as a, performing my own music, not someone else's. Um, and you probably feel the same way. Um, you know, if you let it go, if you don't do a gig for a month. You know, you're you're really starting to lose it a little bit your edge because. I find, you know, I find for me, I could practice all I want at home, but unless I go out and I perform, I'm not going to be in performing shape, right? Um, and that's, I guess that's what the rehearsals are about too. Like having all those rehearsals, um, you, you want it down when you, when you're delivering, you know, it needs to be spot on and then it should get even better. Right. Like, yeah, it was spot on, but it was
1: all, it was a whole big production. So, you know, there was, you know, you had to know what your spots were. Your spots would change in various songs. So there was movement and there'd be dancers and things around you sometimes. And, you know, it was a, the whole thing was choreographed with lights and it was a whole, so it wasn't just like you and me going to play the Chubby Pickle. <laughs> was gonna there was a whole thing. And, you know, you have to be here on this song. And obviously you didn't know the material. There was no music on stage. So you had to know everything called. And, you know, the good and the bad thing was it was the same Saturday night. So it wasn't like you had to know 60 songs and she was going to mess up this, mix it up. It was always the same songs. So it just got very boring about four weeks into a tour. But, <laughs> Um it made it easier to know your stuff because you knew exactly what was coming. There was no surprises, there was no key changes, there was no tempo changes, everything was bum, bum, bump, bump. Um, yeah. but it made, you know, the show really it was it was uh, very professional. Was like I'd never dealt with anything like that before. I had no idea when the guy could stand on your mark. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> 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 that never even came up anywhere when I was in school. Um, so it was it was very interesting. So
0: yeah, I mean, that was really cool. Um And uh, now, do you teach at all? Or no, I I did when I was
1: in college and stuff. But I.
0: But I mean, that would be, um, you know, great experience to pass on. You know, uh, the uh, lessons. Um, So maybe, maybe, maybe you will. You know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You got to give me another twelve hours in a day to (laughs) us. Yeah,
0: I mean, I. Well, when I went to Berkeley, I was a rock player, so I didn't know anything really about jazz. I didn't, I didn't even read well. Um, that was my sticking point was uh, sight reading. I was just barely getting through getting, barely getting passing grades in sight reading um, to, to pass up, to move on. Um, but, you know, I got better, better at it uh, over time, over, over the year or two, I was only there for a couple of years. Um, but then, then when I left, I, Studied with uh, Joe Federico, and um, mm-hmm. he got me. You know, I really felt good, like advancing with some of the techniques that we worked on. And, um, well, he he played. Um, he backed up. Like some of the major acts, like he was Ella Fitzgerald. Um, he used to talk, tell me who he backed up, um, like on in Vegas and stuff. Right. So um, to have a teacher like that with that kind of experience i mean that's you know it helped me in a lot of ways you know sure. um, to to prepare and and of course berkeley did too but um i you know when i left berkeley i i mean i did some jazz for about 5 years and i worked on it um got better at it but um eventually i came back i think you said the same thing you came back to pop rock right that's, that's where my heart was, you know.
1: Yeah, it was, a long, it was a longer run. I mean, I was forced to because I made my living playing pop music. But I think that, you know, those few short days in between tours, you know, I would uh, hop down and, into Manhattan and play with whoever it was jazz or jazz fusion or, you know, what happened, whatever I could, could get um, just to keep the chops up the one thing I didn't get to use with Whitney was any kind of chops of any sort. You know, very much there was no um, there was no personal musical input to anything that you were doing. Was, everything was like just like the record. So, and if you didn't play it just like the record, you would get notes from the musical director <laughs>
0: at the end. Of, uh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a guitar-based band or or guitar featuring band, pretty much, right? So, no,
1: no, it was, it was Whitney featured. Man. <laughs> <laughs> very much so and for good reason um but yeah it was and it you know it was if you stray too much you get notes and i and i at first i took it personal saying well geez you know what am i here for if i can't you know and i put my imprint on this somehow and i realized that uh, if the music changed anything different from the record whitney would get lost <laughs> she was not um was being mean, but she wasn't very musical from that standpoint. It was very much if, if things got off, she would like she would she would lose where she was and stuff. So I think that's one of the main reasons they really tried to keep it kind of very uh, vanilla, you know. And and the record sounded great, so it wasn't like you were, you know, giving up anything. They were great productions yeah. and parts were great. But like I said, you know, if you're going on a forty-five date tour and and the tenth date, you're like, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my very much a job.
0: My yeah. take on it is because I, as a fan, if someone didn't play something the way that I knew it, you know, when I was younger, um, I was like, Oh, what are, what are they doing? Why are they changing that? Um, not thinking, you know, they're, they're doing, I don't know, a couple of hundred shows a year or a hundred and some shows a year, right. the same songs night after night. Um, and, you know, I was, Well, like, for instance, like Led Zeppelin, I was a big Led Zeppelin fan when they came Mm -hmm. out with their live album. And it was like they were going off the off the map a little (laughs) bit here and there, like with certain, you know, every song. I mean, it was a live performance. I didn't really think about live performance. You know, when I, you know, coming up as a rock guitar player, what are you doing? You're mimicking what's on the album. right? Right. So you're staying to that. And again, like you were just saying. have a lead singer and you're like hey man uh i lost it here you know because you didn't do this guitar part um and i i've had i just just talking to my wife about this today because i remembered somebody had a discussion with me it was a dentist who was who's who sang in a choir (laughs) and we were talking about idol american idol or something and they said something the guy said and I think they did. I, I can't remember, but I think they did a live band versus album versus, you know, tracks to to perform uh, for the contestants. And he said, he was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I don't think that they did that great that tonight. You know, they didn't know the song. And I'm like, I'm like, well, maybe because they're using a live band and it's not karaoke. You know, you don't have the cues. I said, you might be missing some of the cues for the people as a singer, you know, he's like, Oh no, that's not right. You know, I know I sing. And I'm like, well, do you perform live or yeah, I sing with the choir. I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> you're not out there on your own, you know, with, with no pants on because, you know, you missed a cue, you know, and, and you can't, you know, Keep going. Come back around. <laughs> turn, turn around. Turn around.
1: Wait a second, Pat. Wait a second, Pat. Have you played without pants before? <laughs> no, no.
0: Yes, actually. COVID during COVID. <laughs> I don't have any pants on right now, by the way.
1: <laughs> ah, I knew it. You looked a little comfortable.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm calling my uh, post-COVID uh, tour pants-required tour <laughs> my performances. So. And you can use that. Just send me a, a little royalty <laughs> <laughs> on the return, you know? Um, no, but, um, I I've known that I know that scenario. So, um, you know, Zeppelin, they skewed, you know, I'm like, how can they, that's not stairway to heaven. You know, it's <laughs> like he changed it. You know? <laughs> I was very disappointed, um, with the album and, um, I think i i think i just watched the lot you know the the uh film of it uh recently <laughs> maybe in the last year um i, I had a second look I go, oh yeah okay i get it you know live performance he's you know trying to make a show out of it and you know so cool all right but going back to that like that's how they started out they started out making the show with music and you know um So that I didn't know originally, you know, I didn't realize that as a young performer. Right. But um, so I think, like, you know, you starting off, uh, you know, you got a good start. You probably had a good teacher. um, Sounds like, um, because you were when you went to Berkeley, you you felt like you were prepared. And um, so I mean that all, you know, that all landed you in the right right place at the right time. You know, if it was me, you know, I might not have. Made it. it might not have made the cut, but you—you you know, guy like you, like, you know, chops had your chops down at that time, you know. So well, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and, and in retrospect too, um, you know, I got a lot of slack from my musician friends when I took that gig. You know, like selling out. You know, oh. what you're doing you know you should be doing you know, oh right, a higher <laughs> level of music. <laughs> Or, you know, you know, she'd be making $50 a night playing at McCann's with yeah. Mike Stern, I used to go see a uh, Club, Club 55. And uh, I think he was lucky if he made 70, 80 bucks a night when he played there. Um, so, yes, it, it was definitely a and uh, I didn't regret it. I'm glad I, I, I took that path because I think it made everything else different for me into the future. I mean, I don't even play jazz anymore. I barely even listen to it anymore.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, if it's playing someplace, I'm like, oh, that's cool. But I don't never turn it on at home to listen to that. Um, not that I have anything against it, but I guess my tastes have just changed over time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, um, well, you only have so much time. You know, as you get older, you're, well, I mean, I had a job in IT. You're, you're doing something. Uh, you're doing work, full-time work. And I have a career uh, aside from music. And, um, mm-hmm. but you have the skills and the ability to do that you know, you're not, um, you know, to do it at, if you're just learning and, you know, you're trying to, um, build your, your chops and your performance chops and your writing chops and all that. Um, and now you're working a full-time job, but that's going to interfere a lot more than for you and I, um, you know, after you developed, um, as a musician. Um, so, but I mean, obviously you still have to practice and, but, you can't do everything. Right. So even, even if I had time, I don't know if I would, I try things once in a while, like some of the things I do too, I'll do like, um, I like classical music too. So Mm -hmm. I'll go back to a Bach type thing or some of this other, I did some like violin book studies, violin studies, I should say. Um, That's what Joe Federico put me on, like working out of these violin books. Violin mm-hmm. uh, studies and um christ fritz chrysler i think was one of them and of course bach Um, i can't remember the other ones but um really cool like a lot of heavy at times double stops um which i always envied people like i'd see even country players doing these double stop runs i'm like wow man that is so cool like how do they <laughs> remember how do they do that you know well, it's something that I do now. I mean, I don't even think about it now because I I do it a lot, you know. Right. But the reason I worked on double stops and for the audience, a double stop is playing two notes at the same time versus playing a chord. You kind of can outline the the feel of the chord or the sound of the chord, um, a harmony, uh, two, two notes at the same time. Um, I started this more when I... I came back to music about 11 years ago and you know if you're solo right you can't you can't perform your song and then do a solo and then go back to your chords you you can and select songs or it's built that way but you can't do that all the time so you can't do that on every song because you know you're, you're that might be like a jazz thing, right? <laughs> right You go off and you're soloing and then you come back in and you start playing some chords right but with no accompaniment, but with um it's hard to do harder to do in pop, so to speak, but um, so I'm like wondering I can't just keep playing chords and singing and you know little intros and outros and fills are fine, but I need a little more meat on the bone and and to fill in spots and when you're playing acoustic guitar it's kind of thin too right so that's another knock against it when you're although today we have equipment that makes that more possible than it was 30 40 years ago yeah. um to where you can hear what the guitar player is doing but anyway um so that's when i started doing a lot more double stops and i started using my my uh, techniques that I worked on years ago. I'm like, finally, this is finally, I'm finally getting the chance to use this that so I spent so much money learning. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I I forgot what I was saying originally, but I think we were talking about, I was talking about soloing and filling in. But um, yeah, so I mean, that <clears throat> that's really cool, man, that you got to do that. Then now, the, what did you do after the Whitney tour? You did that for three years? Yeah, it was about two and a half
1: years, I think, and uh, I just got burned out. It um, was—I was literally homeless because I was never off the road long enough. I had a storage unit in New Jersey, I had a storage unit in California. I didn't have a car, Mm -hmm. and um, and it got old. You know, the money was good. It was very cool to play to twenty thousand people or fifteen thousand people or whatever the heck the numbers were. Um, But it became a job. I mean, the the fun was out of it. You know, playing the same songs every night, the same way every night, and. so I, I kind of quit, she was getting ready to go to um, Japan on tour. And I said, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm done. And um, I quit that thinking that I could, you know, take my skill set and become a studio guitar player, which is something I always wanted to do. And, you know, a la, like a Steely Dan kind of guy. And um, at that point, I couldn't have picked the worst time to try and become a studio musician because it was back when there was no guitar on pop songs anymore. It was all synthesizers and drum machines. And, and I said, oh, okay, this is not gonna work. So I, I, um, I, I ended up just kind of leaving the business. I mean, I still played, um, and I play on you know, weekends with friends and stuff, but I ended up getting a job in finance that you alluded to that um, was my bread and butter now for the last 30 years or whatever it's been. Um, and the only reason that came up was when I was at Berkeley I think I'm the only person that ever took advantage of this. For a brief time, you can get a minor from BU as part of your Berkeley um, education. And my dad, who never understood the music thing, saying you're going to get a minor in something useful. <laughs> <laughs> I think, once again, I never saw another Berkeley person in BU besides me. I think I'm the only person I got a minor in finance. And um, not that anything I learned there helps me today, but instilled an interest at least in financial things. Um, so when I stopped doing music, I said, oh, maybe you can do something with this finance thing. Oh. And uh, eventually it turned into a, another career. Nice. Well, a
0: lot of people go to college and they study something that they think they want to do, but they don't end up using it. So you actually use two things that you, yeah. and made money, making money at both of them, you know, for of the time. Yeah. And then, um, so, um kind of talked about singing but you we talked about songwriting first so did you you were you were doing like maybe doing a couple of songs uh in a set with uh with a band like you you weren't the lead singer but you were filling in helping i mean that's what i used to do you know sing yeah, a couple yeah, of
1: songs. I took my musical hiatus for that decade i was in a um for lack of a Bedtime was an r and band, but we'd do some fusion stuff, we'd do some R&B stuff. Um, and that band, the drummer was the lead singer. The keyboard player was female for most of the years and she sang, but there was a need for somebody else to sing some of the other songs that weren't, you know, I would sing, uh, I'm trying to think what I, what I sang. I sang a Stewie Dan song, I sang, you know, so I have singing, I think one song is set. So I'd, I'd get two or three songs a night and I was happy, more than happy with that. Um, and then, like I said, I kind of, after I got out of that band, I didn't do music at all for almost 10 years. Um, and, um, and the thing that started it all, it's just very really weird. But we moved into a new house, we built a new house and um, we weren't there for that long. And I came home one day from work and I could hear water running. And I was the only person in the house. I was like, what is that? I opened up the basement and the new water heater had exploded and the basement was flooded and all my musical instruments were floating. Oh, my God. In, in water and got totally destroyed. And not that I had that many, but whatever I had was, you know, was toast. And at that point, I said, geez, you know what? I thought I was always going to go back and do this. And oh. uh, now I can't. <laughs> I don't The oh. instruments anymore. Wow. At the same time, I also started noticing that uh, I started getting arthritis in my hands. And I said, you know what? If, I, if I'm going to do this, I got to start it now. And uh, and I knew myself. And I said, if I go out and buy a really expensive guitar, I know I'll play it because so I'm not willing to spend money on something and not use it. So I went and bought a, uh, a Gibson SJ200, and uh, that was my first guitar, and I started, I relearned how to play relatively quickly. It didn't take that long. It's, it's weird. even after 10 years. Your calluses, they're not on the top of your fingers, but they're in there somehow. It's literally within weeks, you know, I was playing again, not as good as I was. Yeah, they come I mean, back pretty fast. And, um, and I realized, I said, what am I going to do? And I got... As I started doing more things, I start I was very much accompanying myself and then singing, as that was the thing okay. to do. I started doing open mics. That was you know the first thing that you do when you go out, and that's where I kind of led to being around all Where
0: whereabouts were you when you when you started this? New Jersey?
1: Yeah, yeah. I was living okay. in Jersey. Um, yeah, after touring, I, I've been in Jersey ever since I stopped touring. So it's been you know a lot of years. Um, so yeah, I mean there was open mics. You so know, Joe's was big one. There was one up in. Edison, called The Coffee House, and you know, wherever there was one, I would try and go out to get my two or three songs a night, <laughs> which at that time was perfect, because I think my repertoire was 12 songs. So I could <laughs> mix it up with the different ones and do my two or three songs. But you started getting around other people that were writing, I guess, as I mentioned before, that were writing their own songs. And um, I thought, that's great, you know, but I didn't even have any inkling of wanting to do it. <laughs> um, so at my wife's request, and you know, I, I started from there. But that told me the guitar chops came back, vocal chops, which I never had, I started to develop. I'm still not a great singer, but I can get by with you know what I do. Um, it's funny. I'm actually getting calls for studio work not to actually sing on people <laughs> which I never thought would happen oh. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so it's kind of cool. it's kind of yeah kinda, that is cool. You know, full circle, but in a whole different way
0: and um so um. Now, how long you said you've been writing for about seven years? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, now, um, you're involved. I had been involved with the group um, musician, musicians on a mission. Yes. Are you still in, involved with that?
1: Very much so. Because you yeah. were pr-
0: president for a while, or are you still? No, no. The- I've,
1: I've never held a. a I'm not on the board, but I don't on hold the board. A, okay. A, a position on the board, but I mean it's, it's only seven or eight of us on the board that you know, various times, sometimes there's as many as nine, sometimes we're down to something. And it's, it's, you know, it's a, I saw them, I met Brenda Worth at first, I think. And then uh, I saw a post about this. I said, what a great combination of music and raising money for charities. Um, and, you know, I had be, become very, um, as I started making money, I became more and more charitable throughout the years, you know, trying to help out others. And then, and I knew that, you know, most musicians have charitable hearts, but don't always have money.
0: Yeah.
1: And I said, this was a perfect way for musicians to give back, that they can't afford to, to write a check, but they can do a free show to raise money for something. And I, I, I love that connection that they had. Um, so I, st- I don't even know how many years it's been now, but I um, guess I'm so bad with years. <laughs> After I started songwriting, so, you know, maybe I've been on the board six years or so or something. And uh, we, we've done raise great amount of money for just great small local charities that just are in dire need of funding, and uh, we give our you know member musicians an opportunity to perform in front of our audiences. So it, it's kind of yeah. nice.
0: Yeah, it's it's a great organization for that. Um, I um, think I slipped up over the past couple of years, but while, since I got sick, I think um, I've been sick. It's been like three years. So um but yeah I mean I enjoyed that also you guys have um you do open mics um open mic celebrations like a couple of times a year at least um so that's fun and getting together and also just the networking is good too that's for for the musical side and then of course uh the charity benefits um what what is the thing at the uh saint um
1: we do a light of day show there every year. Light of day, okay. The Saint, which is typically in January this year because of COVID was uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Um, so yeah, we do the last Sunday and we do um, typically five bands at the Saint on Sunday afternoon. Okay. Um, that's one of the many shows for light of day every year. But, uh, but that's, that's our one Saint show for the year typically.
0: Yeah, well, it's, uh, well that's how I met you actually, right? I don't remember... Our first meeting, but <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I'm trying to I think, right? It was through a musicians on I mean, a mission thing. I'm trying to think, was it maybe through, back in the, a... the Riverfest days when we used to do the Red Bank shows? Red Bank. Okay.
0: Yeah. Maybe. That was a great, I had a great time there. But it was great. And
1: they stopped doing and We used to love doing those shows. There was a lot of work. It was like two days, two and a half days of music we had to book. Um, yeah.
0: They stopped it. Um, but, um, well, the one thing i discovered there was that people actually listen to music <laughs> and they support like in numbers so right. that was that was really cool and actually at the shore you know out at the shore you can you find a lot of support for music so i'm on the i'm on the west side of new jersey and on the delaware river and um kind of in the suburbs and um you know it used to be like more f- uh i don't want to say agrarian but agriculture farms and um so that you know the town's smaller the areas areas are smaller but we have a nice um rt community uh well in the in lambertville now but uh used to be in new hope like across the river but um small smaller numbers is what i'm getting at <laughs> so um you know down at the shore you have um, a lot a lot more venues and you know obviously because everybody goes there like from new york and Pennsylvania and New Jersey um, how how are you doing for song writing and releases and what what are you doing today
1: these days well funny you should ask um, <laughs> it I started this to talk about timing I would had studio time booked for the March when shutdown happened to start my third record <laughs> <laughs> So uh, obviously everything got pushed. The, the idea was to be in the studio in March, have the record out and hopefully in September of that year, which was what, 2020, I guess. And obviously none of that came together. So now um, the record's done, it's been mastered. Um, I just got the actual CDs. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, it's, we're out to press now. So the press has the, uh, the stuff, waiting for some reviews. We're starting to get some radio play, doing some podcasts. Um, and the record will be available on all platforms on May 6th.
0: Okay, awesome. So Dave Vargo on the streaming, all streaming platforms on May 6th? Yes. Okay, yep. great. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk to you more. We're not gonna have time in this segment, but um, I wanted to talk to you more about um, social media, like, uh, you know, indie indie music concerns. Okay. or along the path of uh, the artist these days and bands. So uh, maybe we'll have a chance to chat again, check in with you maybe later this year and see how your album was doing and how you did. So are you doing, are you doing a CD by any chance or are you just doing streaming?
1: No, I, do have, I, did, um, I didn't do as many CDs as I normally used to in the past for obvious reasons. Um, it's funny, I, did, I played a few Light of Day shows um, back a few weeks ago. I don't even mention it anymore. And a number of people came up and asked me to buy CDs. I was like, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was the only dinosaur who still bought CDs. Yeah, um, no, I good. got um, a number made because there are certain reviewers that really want a CD first off, it's about 15 or 20. Like the bigger um, magazines actually want a physical CD, um, which I'm more than happy to send. But I think they want to see all the credits and the pictures and the different things. Um, and I'll still sell some. See, so yeah, I, I printed 300 to start off with, we'll see how those go. Um, it's funny that before <laughs> I just got these today. So, uh, be, before we started this thing, I tried to put it in my computer. Even my computer doesn't have a display anymore. <laughs> I said, let me listen to this thing while I'm sitting here for a few minutes. <laughs> well, you get, um, people who really,
0: I don't want to say audiophiles, but people who really listen to music. Um. Or enjoy music, it's part of their life, they'll have a CD player, usually, because they're gonna have old CDs. Yeah, I mean, it was probably five years ago. I was in New York and the people were like, Oh, yeah, I really like this. Where do I get the blah, blah, blah. I'm like? Well, I have a CD. CD? Nobody nobody uses CDs anymore. I'm like, really? <laughs> they're like, no. I'm like, well, what do you use? You use a flash drive or do you want it on flash? No, no. Don't you have it, you know, up on, the, I'm like, Oh yeah, you can get it on iTunes or whatever. So <laughs> I don't, I don't know if they ever bought it, but you know um, I was kind of shocked. Cause I was like, I still had CDs. I mean, I still, I still had a DVD player, CD player. I made sure I had it, but I'm a computer guy. So, you know, I had software that I want, you know, if I, if I need to install software, sometimes I had old CDs and stuff that I needed to use. Right. So um mm-hmm. So to each his his own, right? Um, And then um, you have any gigs coming up that you wanna promote?
1: Yeah, I'm just starting to get back live. I mean, I'm still doing the Two for Tuesdays every Tuesday night on Facebook.
0: Okay, Uh, that's Dave Vargo on Facebook.
1: Yep. Um, And um, I have a gig in Princeton on April 23rd. I think it's noon to two o'clock or something like that. It's in Palmer Square. Um, I've been doing this, I started last year with them. It's a roving musician kind of thing. I go out with my guitar and um, oh, around okay. Comedy Square and I hit different corners. I play a few songs, go to the next corner. And uh, they just love having music. It starts in the spring. gets much more busier in the summer. But uh, it's, it's a nice crowd. The people come through, they stop, listen to a few songs, and move on. It's uh, nice. It's, if you get nice weather, it's a nice experience. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> um but, That's the but, thing
0: with the outdoor gig yeah
1: yeah um yeah maybe may we'll start getting busier with gigs but i don't have too much else going on this
0: month This playing well i'm I'm feel sluggish myself um i'm ready to do some more things but um just taking my time i'm um, working on music working on some new songs and <clears throat> gonna hopefully have a release out uh a business I changed like the song like two times already. So it was supposed to be out in January and then another one in February. So now we're in to March. And, um, one I was going to release one of my friends is supposed to do backup vocals, but they're away. And, um, so I'm, I have to wait for them. So I'm going to, now I'm going to change it up again and do a release a different song first. And, um, so, um, yeah, I'm not in a big hurry. I I think I have a couple of things booked. Um I did your show. Um, I forget when like in the fall sometime, I think maybe that's winter. Right. And um you're two for Tuesday. And uh I wasn't even prepared. I had not been playing. I had been recording and but not really digging into the guitar. And that's I, I was kind of <laughs> I kind of postponed you for a little bit and you're probably like wondering like what the heck's going on here you want to do this or <laughs> not you know and i was like oh well i i really haven't and then when he said two songs i was like oh i can do two songs <laughs> <laughs> two songs i can do but you know half hour 45 I, I know, it's gonna take me a little about a month to get ready but um so let's see um all right so um how about finding you on the internet Do you have a website you want to promote?
1: Yeah, it's just uh Dave Vargo Music.com. And um Facebook is Dvargo Music. Oh, Dvargo. Okay. And Instagram is Dave Vargo Music. For some reason, when I tried to do Dave Vargo Music on Facebook, somebody else had that. I don't know who. <laughs> <laughs> if you type it in, you don't get anybody, but it wasn't available. So it's just Dvargo.
0: I'm glad foreign isn't such a common name.
1: because i would have been i'll
0: be out of luck with that because uh you know i started i got back into music so late i gave up on it for you know a number of years looking forward to your song release and would like to see you soon definitely (laughs) somewhere in person (laughs) and maybe we can do some music or you know do a show together or something um so I'll, i'll look forward to that and is there anything else that you want to add any
1: I don't know. We, we covered a lot
0: of stuff. I think great bits of knowledge that you want to pass on to anybody. <laughs> you me
1: Something way about too much, practicing.
0: I mean, way too much
1: credit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you said, uh, what was it? Be ready for the gig before you get the gig. How, how How's that go? Always be ready. Yeah. Always be ready. All right. Well, there we go. So remember that always be ready. And that is so true. <laughs> well, but thanks, Dave, uh, Dave Vargo, everybody. Thanks Dave for a great talk here. And I hope to, um, I want to, I would like to continue this again and get a little deeper into some things. Sure. And I sure. hope you enjoyed it. I did. Thanks I for having me. This is great. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. For more information about Dave Vargo, he can be found on Facebook at D Vargo music on the web, Dave Vargo music.com and Dave Vargo music on Instagram. His music can be found on all streaming platforms. For more information about Pat Foran, you can look up Pat Foran Music on the web or go to patforanmusic.com. You can find me on Instagram, pat.foran, and also on Facebook. Thanks for listening to Get Labeled Indie Music Roadmap with Pat Foran.